It's wonderful to hear the sounds of a joyful church. People glad to be here. That's awesome. Um, so we continue to just be blessed by God as we, as we worship him. Thank you, Josh and Hannah. That was really good, and that's not just because you're my daughter, although there may be a significant amount of that in there. <laughs> um, I was just saying to Pastor Scott how grateful I am that we could do this. I'm not sure this will ever happen again, where we get to, I get to preach, and my daughter leads, and, and my son-in-law leads in worship. It's a special morning um, for us. And uh, So I hope it's a special morning for you, too, and that's the, that's the whole point, right, is that we come and we're blessed by God and just experience more of him. We're more impressed by him, more just blown away at how awesome he is, because that's really, that's really who he is. He is an awesome God, and you can kind of hear it in the psalmist, like straining to try to get the words out that communicate that. And I feel like that sometimes is true, isn't it? It's like in prayer, it just feels like, oh, I wish I had new words. I wish I had other ways of expressing how awesome God is. Um, but that's good. Maybe we need to invent new words. So, but anyway, um, so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to lead up to the Lord's Supper um, communion. It's one of my favorite um, things to do is, is take communion. There's something special about it. And what I'm hoping to communicate this morning is how special it is. Because we can be deceived by the little cup in the little wafer, right? Especially this little cup. Right? It's like in the little wafer behind the, the, the plastic seal. But when you look at this, think of it like this. It's like the tip of an iceberg that's just poking its way through the surface of the ocean. Um, but underneath that is a massive expanse of ice, this huge, this huge block of just solidity, just you know, ice rock holding that tip above the water. This is what this is. It's like an expanse of truth and meaning that just goes all the way back to the beginning and, and presses forward all the way to the end and the consummation of the age. This is what this speaks to. And so what I'm going to do, I don't typically do this, but this is like a three-point sermon, Okay. Um, and it's three C's, okay? And I'm hoping that this will help us remember what I'm about to do and kind of give you the outline. I'm just kind of giving you the roadmap of where we're going. But we're going to talk this morning about how the Lord's Supper is a remembrance of Christ's cleansing. And I think most of us are really familiar with that idea. It's a crucial idea, crucial, important biblical idea. But it is not just that. When we take the body and blood, it's a remembrance as well of Christ's commission for his people. So when we take this, it is a reflection of his mandate. It's us as a people saying, yes, I'm taking on the yoke of Jesus Christ. Um, it's that too. So it's a remembrance of our commission. Um, again, not something we've explored maybe a whole lot. But so important. The third thing is it's a remembrance of the coming kingdom. Which is a little tricky, right? Because you're thinking back now to the future. That was a movie, right? Back to the future. But So it's the three C's. It's cleansing, right? We're remembering that. 
commission, we'll say commission, we could say call, a call to be holy. That's another C word we could use, but let's just use commission to keep it simple. And then coming kingdom. Okay, so this is, this is all, the meal speaks to all of these things. Um, so, and my son and I were talking about this on the way in this morning, because I, he, Willingly was submitted to my outline because I'm trying to, okay, i got to remember what I'm going to say. Um, and it speaks to the past, the present, and the future. and really shapes the meta-narrative of our lives. It like, and, and then so within this great meta-narrative, this great map that God gives us, we find our place in it. And, but it gives us this expanse, and we're all looking for narratives, aren't we? We're all looking for meaning, like what is it that buttresses my life and gives me meaning? And we're finding it in, you know, uh, all kinds of different ways. Our country, you know, the narrative of the United States of America, the, the narrative of race relations, the narrative, we're finding something to, to find our place in the world. But I'm telling you, Christians, we find our place in God's meta-narrative. That's his meta-narrative. It's his story. It's his past, his present, and his future. This is where we are, and there's no greater. In fact, that's the only true, that is the only true meta-narrative. That's the only one that will be forever. All others will drift away. So it's a bit ambitious, um, but this is what we're going to do. So it's a three-part kind of message. Now, what I'm going to do is we're going to spring from, if you have your Bibles, you have a Bible app, open up to Hebrews chapter 9. To make it even more challenging, we're going to go from Hebrews this morning. It's an awesome book, though. Hebrews is such a good book and such a difficult read because it's the letter to the Jews, right? To the Hebrew Christians. And what the writer is laboring to do is move people from Old Covenant allegiance to the supremacy of Christ in all things. So the writer is laboring to unify Christians around Jesus. That is Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians. Uh, that's, the, that's kind of the whole point of Hebrews. Um, but what we're going to look at this morning is the supremacy of the blood of Christ um, to everything that came prior. But how everything that came prior points to the blood of Christ Okay, so we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, and we'll go down to verse 15. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, you see the comparison? How much more then will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. How did the Old Testament animals need to be? Unblemished. Um, Not diseased, not crippled. They needed to be the best animals from the flock because what was that pointing to? What was that symbolic of? The, The purity and sinlessness of Jesus. So I'm, okay, I'm going on a rabbit trail. Let's stop, okay. Um, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences, key word right there, from acts that lead to death, or dead works, some of your translations will have, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Okay, so you can see him straining, right, to show the supremacy of Christ over everything that came before, but how Christ, everything that came before is related to him, right? It's not unimportant. You don't despise it. It's important. But now that Christ has come, it's lost its significance. And so the first thing he points out about the Old Testament sacrifices, and we see this in verse 12. um, I'm sorry, verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls in the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Outwardly clean. So it did something. And God required it. Um, it, So it set them apart, but only set them apart sort of ceremonially. Okay, it didn't do what really needed to be done. Okay, so there was an outward act that accomplished something, and God required it, but it didn't do what God had in mind, what he knew he was going to do for us and for all people. Okay, and we have to go also to Hebrews chapter 9, because what we're going to explore is the limits of Old, Old Testament sacrifice, um, how they were insufficient, but they are actually revelatory as well. Uh, look with me to uh, chapter 9, verse 7. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year. Okay, that's the most holy place. He could only go in once a year, and it was one guy. What does that tell you, right? And never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing. So here's a, it's revelatory, okay? The Holy Spirit is working through this repetition and through this idea that only one person could go into the most holy place one time. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, Which implies what? The way into the most holy place will be disclosed, right? There will be a day when it's not just one person once a year. Um, And we're going to find that as well in Hebrews. But here's the Holy Spirit giving almost like a negative revelation, right? Um, About the lack of this covenant. Um, 
Okay, so the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Key statement right there. All these sacrifices were not able to clear the conscience. There was something about these sacrifices where the the Hebrew, the Jewish person knew that this was not commensurate with my sin. It was something God required. It was a grace, right? God maintained his relationship through these sacrifices, but they knew in their heart of hearts that all these sacrifices were not commensurate. They were not justice. Um, And they spoke to the fact that God had a commensurate justice in mind who was coming, right? It's revelatory in a negative way. Um, But they were not able to clear clear the conscience. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Thank you. We're still in the bad news, though. (laughs) But that's okay. So here is this, like, and you think of Old Covenant worship, highly regulated. These are two R words, right? Regulated and remote. Remember the people, Moses would gather and he'd go into the tabernacle. Everybody had to stay, stay away. Moses goes up on Sinai. Everybody, you better stay down at the bottom. Don't even touch the mountain. Regulated, remote, speaking to this idea of a distance, although they were God's treasured possession, but held at a distance, right? Uh, Maybe like a couple before marriage, you're treasured, but you're remote. We're keeping you at a distance until that day, right? This idea that no, not yet, right? We're keeping, it's regulated, it's remote, um, but still revelatory, speaking things to the people that were there to build hope, yearn to the future, right? So here's another one. Some more bad news before we get to the good news. Chapter 10, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Not the realities themselves, So the law, all of these things were shadows, symbols, signs of the good thing that's coming. Each one filled with meaning. And that's why the Old Testament is so fascinating to study because all of it is Christ, right? And you can see Christ in all of it. And that's the the wild thing about the Bible. You know, and and I think about that. I think about, you know, there are texts, proof texts we can go to say all scripture is God-breathed. Really important passages. But you look at God's plan and how he interwove everything together, even the sacrifices, and how could this not be a revelation of God? This design. Again, we're getting into the, we're now getting below the tip, right, of the surface of the water. We're moving now into this expanse. Okay, where was I? For this reason, they're a type and shadow of the things that were to come. For this reason... It can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? 
For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. See that? Their consciences weren't cleansed. There was a residing guilt. They knew it was unresolved. You know, kind of like when you, you sin against somebody or you wrong somebody. And until you see them again and make it right, there's this inner angst, right? That you feel like, oh, I got to make that right. Like it has not been made right. And so the Jewish worshiper, yeah, God is asking for these things and we're offering them and he promises to forgive us and we know that, but we don't know how. How do these things forgive us? And notice it says repeated endlessly, almost like this hyperbole, right? They have to be repeated endlessly, right? They were daily sacrifices. If you go back to Leviticus, you had daily sacrifices. You had weekly sacrifices. You had monthly sacrifices. You had the great pinnacle annual sacrifice of the Day of Atonement. You had the blood pouring out of pigeons, bulls, goats. You had all this happening, and the temple is a busy, bloody place. So you have all this repetition of sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. But you think about that. What is that pointing to? It's like this precious one, right? It's like this, um, the repetition itself, saying this isn't enough, this isn't enough, it'll never be enough, it'll never be enough, it'll never be enough, um, but leading us to lean forward. But those sacrifices, verse 3, are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. And so there they were. Yes, we're doing it. But I, I feel the guilt. It's still there. I feel the weight, the weight on my soul. But the prophets would say, one day, God would put away your sins. He would move them as far as the east is from the west. I love those analogies. He would remove them. He would forget them. Um, we, see, we see one of those in Jeremiah. It's quoted by the, the writer of Hebrews. If you look at uh, chapter 8, verse 12, here's this great prophecy of Jeremiah. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Something wild was going to happen to enable God to do that. How can God forget? Just say, it's done. This is an awesome passage if you're in chapter 10, still verse 5, because here's the good news. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Now, it's interesting because he's now quoting Psalm 40 written by David, putting these prophetic words written by David hundreds of years earlier, written by David about his descendant, Jesus. Now the writer of Hebrews is putting these words in the mouth of Christ, who says, sacrifice in offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Think about that. Who was Jesus? He was the second person of the Trinity. 
God is spirit. But the Father had prepared a body for Jesus. Jesus must become incarnate, which is a fancy Latin word for enfleshed. He must be made flesh. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, and this is Jesus' life. If you read Jesus' life in the Gospels, it can be distilled to verse 7. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Come on, that's Jesus. I have come to do the will of the Father. Now here's the writer of Hebrews commenting. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Now he has to explain this because God commanded it. Right? God required it. So he says in parentheses in the NIV, although the law required them to be made. Okay, yes, God did require them, but he wasn't pleased with them as his ultimate solution to our deepest problem. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He set aside the first, that is the old covenant law, the Mosaic code. He set aside the first to establish the second. Set aside, establish. What did he establish? And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Made holy. Those three words, if you could look that up, like a Bible software, we could look up once for all. In Hebrews, it's everywhere. Because this is so important. All those sacrifices, all the ones, the weekly, the daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, all the different unblemished animals were pointing down to this one sacrifice, which would be Jesus, the lamb who would be slain, right? So it's the one who would be perfect. The one who could accomplish God's purpose. And these second two words, for all has two different senses we could get from this. He's the one sacrifice for all people. That is to say, it is sufficient and effective for every human being who has existed, who exists now, and will exist into the future. Jesus' one death is sufficient for the guilt and the sin of every human being who could ever live. That is wild. In his, the effectiveness of his sacrifice goes back, actually, to Abraham, to Moses, who, who performed the sacrifices, did their, did their things at the temple. And God had in mind, it was like retroactive, like, I'm going to sacrifice Jesus for Abraham, for Moses, for David, for Hezekiah, right up to the present, for you, for me, for all who are born into the future. If you confess your sins and in, in trust in the Lord... This is sufficient for every human being. Um, And it says that. Okay, if we look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. But now he has appeared once for all. There it is again. 
at the end of the ages. Interesting, he's considering this the end of the ages. Um, at the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So once for all people, all over the globe, so no longer are these sacrifices applying to a Jewish people in a limited place, limited time. It is a sacrifice that is expansive in scope, which actually gives fuel, right? It gets, this is the fuel of our mission, right? It's like this is available to all people, Christ in his sacrifice. Second thing, it's available for all time. Okay, and we see this in a couple of different places. Um, we see this in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this, with this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For all time. Every person, one sacrifice for all time. This is the preciousness of the blood of Christ. One other text that I really like. I actually like how the ESV translates it. Um, this is Hebrews chapter 7, uh, verse 22, uh, verse 23, I'm sorry. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely, is the NIV, for all time, is the RSV, to the uttermost is the ESV. It has a time, it's a, it's a time uh, significance here. Therefore, he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Do you see that? So there's a, there's a conceptual alignment with the old covenant, right? Because the priest was there. When you sinned, what would you do? You would bring your sacrifice to the temple. You'd confess your sin. You would hear the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is now the high priest. He is the now offering his own blood. And he lives there as a permanent priesthood for you. And you come to him and you're cleansed. And he's forever to the, to the uttermost. Okay, so expansive for all people. Expansive for all time. And goes right to the heart. Soul satisfying. Resolution and peace is the fruit of Christ's death. We see this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death. 
cleanse our it goes right to the soul, right to the heart, to the point where things that we've done that weigh upon us have, are now removed. We're now lifted. Those things, yes, there's still pain. I still have that in my life. There are things I look back and I grimace at some of the things that I did. Um, and I wish I, I could do it over again. And if I could see those people, I would want to tell them, you know, I'm, I'm just a different person now. I feel so bad for what I said to you, what I did to you. Um, and I would want to do that. Uh, and that's good, that's important. But I know, right? I know God doesn't hold those things against me. People might. But God doesn't. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Rhetorical question. Nobody. When you're justified before the courts of God by the blood of Jesus, there is no condemnation left. You are set free. You are made clean and holy before a righteous God who will receive you home by the blood of Jesus. <laughs> Amen. How can God do that? How can Jesus be sufficient? Colossians 1.19 For God was pleased to have all his fullness Dwell in him. All the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. Imagine that. It's the God of the universe who spoke the universe into being, who has lived forever from the past into the future, dwelled in the body of Jesus, had all his fullness in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven even, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It is sufficient. Believe that. Because Jesus was the Son of God, taking upon the sins of the world that sets everyone free. Now, what time have we got? 11. Uh-oh. That was point one. <laughs> Did you guys bring lunch? <laughs> but these, this is so important because I do feel like this is crucial um, for us. Because notice what the writer of Hebrews says in, in chapter 9, verse... I've got to get different reading glasses. 14. There's a, little, there's a little tag at the end of this statement that we could miss, but it's absolutely crucial. He says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that, this is an important conjunction right here, leading to the, this is the means by which God accomplished his ends. Jesus is the means by which he had another end in mind. Notice, so that what? We may serve the living God. All right? This is, this is crucial and important. Jesus cleanses us in order to commission us. Okay? Jesus saves us in order that we would be his servants. That's the purpose. 
The purpose is to cleanse us, to set, up, set us apart, to be his people. Now, you see this in a bunch of places. It's really all over the Bible. But right away, you see this in the upper room, in the context of the Lord's Supper. Do you remember what Jesus did? And we'll just go through this quickly, but it's really significant. Remember, he took off and he, his, he got a towel and he started washing the feet of his disciples. Remember that? I remember Peter was like, no, Lord, you don't wash my feet. You know, you're too holy for that. And he said, Peter, unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. Now, it says there, Jesus is saying, you don't realize right now what I'm doing. You don't understand the significance of what I'm doing right now. So Jesus was more interested. He wasn't interested in feet. Okay, the act of foot washing was symbolic of something else. He wasn't saying, Peter, I don't like people with dirty feet. You know, they stink. I don't want you around if you have dirty feet. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. What was he speaking about? The cleansing of the cross, right? That was to come. Um, then Peter's like, okay, we'll wash everything. And he's like, ah, just wash your feet. You know, that's enough. <laughs> Peter. Um, but then here's how this ends. Okay, Jesus goes around and washes everybody's feet. And now he, 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 he goes, there's the cleansing. And what happens next? The commission. Okay, it's not just the cleansing. I think too often we go from the cleansing to the kingdom. There's something really important in the middle. That's the call. The commission. And you can't, have the, you can't have the kingdom without the commission. And you can't have the commission without the cleansing. And I'm afraid that in our day, the devil has removed the commission. Okay? And that's a tragic, tragic lie. Now, what Jesus says to the disciples are this. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And you will be blessed if you do so. So in other words, what I have done for you, I'm now commissioning you to do for each other. Okay, so he's passing this on. And he doesn't mean it to be optional. um, Because he goes on to say in John 15, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Okay, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if, what? You do what I command. So he's linking what he's about to do, that is lay down his life for the sins of his, the disciples. He's linking that, the cleansing, to the commission that he's now giving to them. And if you fulfill the commission, you're, act, you're, you're in the commission, then you're the, a friend of Jesus. And you recognize the cleansing was given for a purpose. It was for the purpose of serving Christ, living for Jesus. Because those who live for Jesus will enter the kingdom. It's everywhere in the Bible everywhere in the Bible, and we don't have time to go through all the texts. Um, but I do want to... Carlos, can you, can you put up on the, on the wall here? 
a verse? Okay. Um, to me, we, we got to see this. We got to have a visual, okay? 2 Corinthians 5.15. And I'm using the NIV, but other versions would work too. Um, and then I have another one that we need, to, we need to see together, okay? And that's 1 Peter 2.24. Okay, here, 2 Corinthians. Here's the Apostle Paul. And he died for all. Right? That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So Paul surrounds the call to living for Jesus by the fact that he died for them. Now, Carlos just took that down. I wasn't quite done yet, but... But notice what he does. Where's the cleansing? And he died for all. And he goes right past it. Why does he go right past it? It's not that he doesn't believe it, obviously. But he's going right past it because he's going, uh, he's going to the purpose for the cleansing. Right? He's going right past it because the the cleansing is the means to another end, right? So if I, if I were like going to the store to get bread, say, right? Going to the store is the means. What's the purpose of my trip? Bread. If I were to come back home and I went to the store, came back home, my wife's like, which we actually happened yesterday, um, <laughs> Where's the bread? I was like, well, I did all that was needed. I got in the car and I rode to the store and came back. (laughs) No, going to the store was the means by which the end would be accomplished. That is getting bread. It's not successful until you get the bread. And that's why Paul goes from death to servant. Because the cleansing is not... The cleansing has a purpose. It's the goal. It's the going to the store. The the purpose and the goal of the cleansing is serving Jesus. Okay? That's the point. Let's look at another text. This is Paul and Peter. These are the two big apostles, right? 1 Peter 2.24. Could you pull that one up for us, Carlos? I feel like a lawyer. (laughs) Am I like a lawyer? (laughs) Exhibit B. Um, Check out the logic. It's the same thing. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Right past cleansing. Right over forgiveness of sins. Not because it's not important for Peter, but he's writing about the goal of the of the. Bearing the sin-bearing Jesus. The goal of the sin-bearing Jesus are the servant followers of Jesus. That's the goal of the sin-bearing Jesus. The goal of the cleansing is the commission. And if it doesn't produce the commission, then the cleansing does no good because it's not, that's not the purpose. It's not a standalone. It's meant to produce followers of Christ, image bearers, uh, to go out into the world and to glorify God, Right? Um, one more. Can we do one more, Carlos? Exhibit C. 
because we, we come into the language of redemption, which is really, it's slave language, actually. To be ransomed, to be redeemed, that's slavery language, okay? Um, first, I didn't tell you the verse yet. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. Okay, this is, this is so good. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. How would you normally redeem a slave, right? It would be through silver and gold. But here is, for you know that it was not with perishable things that, such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Um, and it goes on but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without defect. This is an important word. You're redeemed from an empty way of life. You've been ransomed from an empty way of life by the blood of Jesus. But when you're ransomed, you're still not your own. When you're ransomed, you're purchased. You're bought. And that's exactly how the language Jesus would use for Israel. He would say, you're my treasured what? possession. You're mine because I brought you out of Egypt. I've redeemed you out of the land of slavery, that you would be a servant of God. It wasn't like you come out of Egypt and, hey, you know, choose what you want to do. No, you, you, were, you belong to God. You are his treasured possession. Um, this is really important. In fact, Paul would argue to the church. He would explain to the church because they were very tempted to get involved in temple worship there in Corinth. Um, in uh, sexuality, deviant sexuality was involved in that, and how he argued for them not being able to engage in that kind of thing was he said, don't you realize you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor, your God, honor God with your body. What price? The precious blood of Jesus ransoms us frees us from an empty way of life, but purchases us. So now we become his treasured possession, living our lives for him. The purpose of the cleansing is the commission. Really important. And I fear, honestly, that the devil has taken out the middle. Okay? We have the cleansing. We have the kingdom. Somehow the commission gets gets minimized or removed. And it's so crucial that we see that that's not the case. Okay? Because it's only those who are faithful to the commission who enter the kingdom. Okay? Now we're going to see that in Hebrews. Don't take my word for it. Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to keep going. We're in verse uh, 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death, so that, right, we may serve the living God. That's the purpose of the cleansing, serving the living God. The end goal, that's getting the bread. For this reason, or therefore, depending on your translation, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Now listen to this, that those who are called, or we could say commissioned, may receive the promised eternal 
inheritance. Do you get that? It's all right there. Cleansing, call, commission, receiving the eternal inheritance, which is the coming kingdom. It all works together. It's all the grace of God, right? Because who do you want to be a slave of? It's either going to be the devil or it's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the most loving being you'll ever meet or have met. It's a glad service. It's a glad slavery, right? Second Thessalonians says, um, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm almost to the end here. Here's the Apostle Paul, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Check out this. Who is calling you into his kingdom and glory. So the the apostles are urging, exhorting, encouraging. Be worthy. Be faithful to your commission. Keep going. Don't give up. Because it is God who is calling you into his kingdom and glory. Jesus speaks about this. Now, let me, let me just pause because I was going to look at Luke 22, then we're going to wrap it up. But um, it's important at this point to recognize that all, although it's cleansing, commission, kingdom, coming kingdom, cleansing bleeds into the commission. Okay, because what happens is, what happens as we contend to live a godly life. Um, do we always succeed? We don't. All right? There's still this sinful nature. There's still this struggle against sin. There's still temp- unique temptations that we all have that we still wrestle with. There's still this idea that there's this real contention, and Paul talks about it. He talks about beating his body. Right? Um, there's, this, there's this real battle that we face. So cleansing bleeds into commission. And we, talk, and we looked at this passage once before where Jesus acts as the high priest who lives forever to intercede for you. So the cleansing is, yes, past, but also present. Like, what happens when I have a fight with my wife, right, and I use my mouth in ungodly ways? What do I do now? Um... And I think there's some interesting dynamics. If we just see cleansing as past, and we're saying, wow, I'm not bearing good fruit, what do we start questioning? It's like, oh, I don't know. Am I born again? Do I have the Holy Spirit? Does somebody have the Holy Spirit say things like that? And I'm not sure God's calling us to introspect in that way necessarily. I think what he's saying is, I have grace for you today. What happens when somebody is hurt in an egregious way that just cuts to their heart and they struggle with loving and forgiveness? What do they do? You know, we can, we can start to go introspective and say, well, am I born again? If, if I were born again, wouldn't I just like happily forgive and just be done with it? And I think what it means is come before Jesus who will 
forgive you today. He will cleanse you today. He will justify you today. And I look at David, right? You look at David's life, and he just opened himself up, Psalm 51, opened himself up to God, and God justified him. And he had done the most egregious things. If you read what David did, and I get angry reading that. Yes, yeah, like, But I get angry looking back at my own life. Um, I get angry at myself. Like, how could you even think like that? And that happens. It happens to Christians. This is where God's grace, right? His mercies are new every day, and they really are. Jesus is ministering his blood to us in the past, in the present, and into the future. Nothing but the blood of Christ. And so when we come before Jesus at the judgment, yes, we come, and I'm going to say this, you come with a faithful life. You come saying, Jesus, I've served you. Um, I present to you my life. Look at my life. I've, I've, I've been in the church serving. I've been, I pray. I pray for my children. I witness. I've been serving you. I've been serving. I read your word. I love being with you. You say that. Yes, you do. And you can see the psalmists all saying, oh, Lord, remember my righteousness. And I think we read those things. We're like, whoa, how can you say that? You know? But it is true. But it's also, Lord, remember my righteousness and thank you that you forget my sin. It's both. So you come, as, as the writer of Revelation John says, that the, the bride of Christ will be dressed in white linen. And what are, what are, what's the white linen representative? Good works, righteous deeds. But they also come with robes washed, right? It's both. We come to the, we come to the, the throne of God, both washed in the blood of Christ and rejoicing in the life that he's enabled us to live by the power of his spirit in faithfulness to our commission. And Jesus is looking forward to that day. If Luke 22, this is the future kingdom that we remember through the Lord's Supper. He says, um, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. You see that? So we're remember when we eat today, we're remembering the future. This is a meal that anticipates the meal with Jesus. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus is waiting, like the table is set with the finest of meats, finest of wines, and just set ready, ready. It's the wedding banquet of the Lamb. He's just waiting for us to show up. And when we show up, it's just going to be glad and rejoicing and celebrating and lifting the cup, toasting the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who both enabled us to be faithful to the commission and cleansed us with his precious blood to the uttermost. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you're present with us, and even in a special way with when we get these cups out and we 
um, drink from them and we eat, Lord, because these represent, um, it represents your cleansing. Um, Lord, you're looking upon us as we recommit to our commission to be yours. Lord, you've purchased us with a precious price, Lord. The blood, your blood. Lord, and we eat this looking forward to the great meal, Lord, that we will have with you. We'll all somehow recline upon you as John did and just feel your presence and your closeness and just we'll look back and just laugh at all that you brought us through with great joy, Lord. Thank you for this meal, Lord. Bless us as we take it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I do do want to just say, because I do feel like this is the teaching from Scripture, that this meal is open to you if you've been cleansed, you've taken up the commission, and you look forward to the kingdom, okay? this This is the meal for you. Okay, if you're not sure you've done that, um, we would just ask you to refrain. But I do want to say we're just so glad you're here. And we're glad God has you on a process of knowing him and and loving him and taking up his call in your life. So um, if you didn't get if you want to participate in this and you didn't get a cup, uh, please raise your hand. We've got people who can deliver a cup to you. It's like a little cellophane top. You just peel it back. There should be a little wafer there. Everybody doing okay with that? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I think I get it. There we go. Try not to spill it all over myself. You know what? Let's, let's stand together when we do this. And what, I, what I'd like to do is try something. Um, I just thought this would be fun. I was out on a run yesterday, and I thought, yeah, that could be really cool. Um, and I'm just thinking of the meal, like, right, we, we, we remember Christ's cleansing, we take up the commission, we look forward to the kingdom. And I'd like to look forward to the kingdom now by just repeating some things. So if you guys don't mind, just say after me. Oh Lord, we eat and drink to your honor and glory. We love you our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Let's worship.